Good morning. How are you doing? So uh, I'm so glad to be here. I am uh, really glad to have already known uh, Matt, and then I met Katie this morning, and um, it's just obvious that something that God is doing something here, and um, so grateful that we have this time together this morning. Um, you know, and then I watched Austin up here. I mean, how many of you can play the guitar, sing, and make your feet move at the same time? I mean, that's, that's just hard to do. And then, um, you know, so uh, I came to Rush Creek in 1994, and uh, we had one campus. And then in 2004, we started a second campus. And it was, a, it was in a school, and it was a setup and a teardown uh, situation just like this. So if you're on the setup team or the teardown team, which is... Raise your hands here, because I just want to, nobody's here. It got set up somehow. There you go. I tell you, that's, that's not easy work. We did it for eight years before finally we got that campus into a, a permanent building. I hope you don't go eight years, Matt. But uh, it's just obvious that God is doing something here at, at Wellspring and, and uh, China Springs. Um, you know, I had the privilege of marrying all three of my children. Um, all three of them married great kids, great and godly kids. And uh, so, but the best one was my daughter. I had two sons, I had son, daughter, son. And the best one was my daughter. Uh, and how many of you have daughters, guys? How many have daughters? I'm just telling you, when it comes that day and you have the privilege to walk your daughter down the aisle and hand her off to a godly man, a man you know is just right for her. God's picked him out for her. It is just awesome. And so I was walking my, my um, daughter down the aisle, and it seemed like I, it was so wonderful. I just was drinking it all in, and I just felt like, oh, this is incredible. And like felt like three steps, and I was there at the altar. And so if you, whatever you can do, guys, just hear it from me. Try to get the longest walk from the back to the front that you can. I wish it had been like a 747 runway. So anyway, so I, I get up there, and we have another pastor who's receiving us, and he says, now who gives this woman to be married to this man? And I pulled like a Steve Martin, you know, in Father of the Bride. I'm like, ah, what am I supposed to say? And I've done like hundreds of weddings, right? Finally, I said her mother and me, and so then the pastor prayed. And while he was praying, I went up to the top of the stairs so I could receive my daughter and future son-in-law as they made their way up. And um, so... The music stopped, they're all standing there, the attendants are in, in the final place, and I paused for this, like the longest awkward time, and then I said, marriage, marriage is what brings us here together. Well, everybody roared because I'm kind of known at Rush Creek as a guy who loves Princess Bride. How many have never seen the movie Princess Bride? You need to get out. I'm just telling you, it's an amazing movie. And so I reference it so many times that people through the years have given me Princess Bride paraphernalia. So I've got Princess Bride cups and Princess Bride glasses, drinking glasses, and I got Princess, I even have a Princess Bride lunch pail. So, so anyway, it was just, it was just absolutely awesome. I, I love doing weddings. I love talking about marriage. I love doing marriage seminars with my wife. I, I love being around people who have great marriages. But the problem is, 
that my experience has taught me that many, if not most people, don't have great marriages. And that breaks God's heart. And so uh, through the years, I've discovered, I'm 70 years old. I've been around a while. I didn't get married until I was 30. Um, I kept looking at other marriages that weren't very good. And I was like, why do I want to get into that, right? But finally, God brought the right person to me. And uh, through the years, I've learned that, that most marriages fail because they don't grasp and understand and then execute five foundational truths about marriage. So it's okay if you take notes on your phone. It's okay if you go to sleep. I'm used to that. So let me talk about those five foundational truths, all right? Number one, God established marriage. God established marriage. Let me read uh, for you. Right at the beginning of Scripture, uh, Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness, and they will rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and the livestock and the whole earth and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. And then chapter 2, verse 24. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife, and they become one flesh. So right here in the beginning of Scripture, it is clear that God is the author, God is the creator, God is the establisher of marriage. And if that's the case, then God gets to decide what marriage is, And what its purpose is. Marriage is not a human construct. It's not a product of anthropological evolution. It is not um, something that Western civilization created over time or any civilization for that matter. No judge can decide what marriage is. No legislature can decide what marriage is. No no mayor, no governor, even an act of the United States Congress or the Supreme Court can decide what marriage is, because God is the one who created it. And if God created it and established it, then he's the one who decides what it is and what its purpose is. The Bible begins with a marriage, and it ends with a marriage. It begins with a marriage of Adam and Eve in Genesis, and it ends with a marriage of Jesus and his bride in the book of Revelation. And so the first and foremost principle, true principle, is to get it straight in our minds and our hearts that God is the creator and the establisher of marriage. Every time in the Bible when marriage is referenced, it's it's mentioned as a covenant relationship between a man and a woman. Every time. And every time that anybody asks Jesus about marriage, He quoted this this verse in Genesis 2.24. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be bound and joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And we'll talk about that one flesh in just a little bit. But first, we've got to get it straight that God is the establisher of marriage. He decides what it is and what its purpose is. So that's the second foundational truth we need to grasp is that God has purpose for our marriage. Now, you know what the biggest lie I think that our culture offers us about marriage? 
It's the idea that the purpose of my marriage is to make me happy. Now, that's a lie. It's a dirty lie. I mean, I get that. We, we, we come to that conclusion after all that our culture offers us with these romantic comedies and these romance movies and, and uh, the fairy tales, you know, Disney fairy tales. And it's like, and they, get, and they meet each other, they get married, and they live happily ever after. I'm just here to tell you that's a dirty lie. It is not true. And if you think the purpose of your marriage is to make you happy, you're going to be sadly disappointed. Now, I, I don't want to mislead you. If, if you understand God's purpose in marriage and you start fulfilling God's purpose in marriage, then yeah, you do have peace and joy and tons of happiness. But the purpose of your marriage, your marriage, is to not make you happy. One of the problems is, is that we don't understand what real love is. The Bible uses this word covenant love. It's, it's a Hebrew word chesed. Whenever you speak Hebrew, it's like you're getting ready to spit, right? It's chesed. It just means covenant love. It's the idea, it's not, it doesn't have anything with, to do with, with uh, emotion. It's the idea of unconquerable benevolence, that you're going to do what is best for that other person. And in our culture, we use that word love all the time. You know, we, well, we love pizza. I love hamburgers. I, I love bluebell vanilla ice cream. I really love bluebell vanilla ice cream. But, and, and then we have this phrase in our culture, right, that I, I fell in love or I'm falling in love. How many of you have fallen in love, right? So, well, it's a great experience. I, I fell in and out of love like 20 times when I was single. Um, and when you're in love, that person is the most wonderful person in the world. You love the way they laugh. You love the way they talk. You love the way they walk. You love the way they belch. It's just awesome. You just can't get enough of them. You get these warm fuzzies on the inside. It's just amazing. You could kiss for a whole day and your muscles in your mouth would not lock up. It's just awesome. I uh, heard somebody say that this uh, young man sat down at the dinner table with his parents. He said, I came by to tell you I'm, I'm getting married. And the dad says, oh, really? Why are you getting married? And he says, well, I'm, I'm in love with Janice. And uh, he said, how do you know you're in love? And he said, well, last night when I kissed her, her dog bit me on the ankle, and I didn't feel a thing until I got home. So that, that was the decider. After a while, when you're in love, you know what happens, right? The emotions begin to back down. You begin to notice their flaws. Their laugh that you thought was cute now is irritating. They either talk too much or they talk too little. Uh, there's something about the walk that, I, you know, maybe they're like me. They got food. Wherever, you, wherever I eat, I got food on me. And so Sue starts to notice that. But if you have based your marriage on the idea that it makes you happy on the emotion of all that, you're going to be sadly disappointed and your marriage is going to struggle greatly. It is a myth that you can fall in love and live happily ever after. I want to be clear that marriage has a far greater purpose than just two people falling in love. Its primary purpose. Pastor, what's the primary purpose of my marriage? My, the primary purpose of my marriage and your marriage is to glorify the one who created it. To glorify the one who 
created it. Just think about this. God created the heavens and the earth, right? And Psalm 19 says that the heavens declare the glory of the Lord. So the creation glorifies him. God created man and woman. And what is our purpose? To glorify our creator. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. God created marriage. And so the first and fundamental purpose of every marriage is to glorify God. And to imitate the marriage between Christ and the church. And the way we glorify God in our marriage is to treat our spouse with love and respect and honor. So we're going to talk about another purpose toward the end, but I just want to let you know. Number one, God created marriage. He gets to decide what it is, what its purpose is, how to be successful at it. And secondly, the purpose of it primarily is to bring him glory, not to bring you happiness. Again, if you glorify God in your marriage, you're going to experience happiness. I can tell you that. been married 40 years. 38 of them have been happy. 37. But I'm telling you, just buttloads of happiness in your life when you realize it's all about the glory of God. Number three, we have challenges in our marriage. Can I get an amen? Oh, come on now. We have challenges in our marriages, am I right? Anybody don't have challenges in your marriage? Liar. Liar. Also from Princess Bride. So uh, we, ha- we all have challenges in our marriage. A moment ago, I said that happily ever after is a, is a lie, it's a myth. And the reason is, the truth is, is that marriage, successful marriages are really hard work. Now, my oldest son, we married him in the spring of 2007 and um, married this amazing woman. And we're so thrilled about it. And uh, about a year later, she comes over to our house by herself. And she says, I'm having trouble in in our marriage. I'm having trouble with Ben. And she sits on our couch and she just begins to weep. Now, the good thing is that she felt comfortable enough to come to her in-laws, right, to talk about her marriage to our son. And she sat there and she wept and she wept. And when she could talk, she, she kind of reiterated this theme over and over again in different ways. She said, I knew that it would be difficult, but I had no idea how hard it is. Now, not every marriage is like dramatically difficult, but all marriages go through patches of difficulty. It's hard work. And the reason is, is that we, you and me, we're hopelessly broken. I'm broken, you're broken. You take a broken person and put them with a broken person, what do you get? More brokenness, right? And this all started, began in the garden with our first parents when Adam and Eve decided that they knew better than God how to be happy. And the, the result was that, he, that they plunged all of creation, all of humanity into this, this darkness, this brokenness. And you have to admit that we're a broken people. You can look at our world, you can look at our country, you can look at our state, you can look in our hearts and know that we are broken. I'm incredibly broken. We've been, Sue and I have been married 40 years and... 
I'm convinced the only reason that she hasn't left me and we're still married is that she loves Jesus a lot. And sometimes she frustrates the heck out of me. She gets me so frustrated, I want to light her hair on fire. But we have persevered through the hard times, the difficulties, right? We've endured because we realize that our marriage is not primarily, fundamentally about our happiness, but about honoring and living for Jesus. So we have challenges. I mean, we admit that. I, in our marriage seminar, we have like 42 of them or something like that. I, I kind of isolated the top five here. Number one, we have unrealistic expectations. Parenting. Parenting is a hard thing because you have a tendency that one person is raised a certain way, so you have a set of expectations. Another person uh, was raised a certain way, and so they have a set of expectations. My wife was made, uh, raised in a pretty permissive environment. Um, she never once was physically disciplined. I, on the other hand, was raised by a Marine. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, I was used to corporal punishment. And I was used to just kind of the rough thing. I saw myself as the coach, right? And so when one of our children would fall down and skin their knee, I'm like, get up, it's okay, rabbit, you'll be fine, get back in there. And, when, and Sue saw herself more as the trainer. And so when one of the kids would get hurt, she'd be like, are you okay? Here, let me kiss it for you. It's just very irritated that you know what out of me. But the, the difference in expectations of parenting causes conflict in marriages. Can I get an amen? Second area is in the area of finances. My idea of saving money was, look, we have a budget. We're going to spend this much money, and then we're going to save this much money. Her idea of saving was saving $15 on a $90 dress, you know, so completely different expectations. Can I get an amen? Sex, completely different expectations. Uh, we had completely different appetites, right? And uh, so, uh, tread lightly here. So, like, if Sue could tell I was amorous, um, she would say, uh, would you get me a couple of aspirin? And I'd say, sure, do you have a headache? And she'd say, no. You'll get it later. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> poor listening skills. Inattention. You know, te technology is killing marriages. The average, they did a survey recently. It says the average couple talks face-to-face -face five minutes a day. Five. It's no wonder that marriages are crumbling. So when I go to the restaurant, we'll look around. It's amazing how many couples are on their phones just surfing. Waiting on the food. So inattention is a challenge. Loaded listening. This is where one of you is talking about something and yet the other one hears it because they've heard it differently all the time. Sue and I get fusses all over that. I'll say this and she'll respond a certain way and I'll say, you're not listening to me. She heard what I'd said in the past. and So loaded listening gets in the way. Poor listening skills. And then I've already touched on this. We're so different. Now, if you see this, if you're married, you see this all the time. You're just so cotton-picking different. Um, when Sue opens her closet door and says, I don't have anything to wear, what's she saying? I don't have anything 
new. When I open the closet door and say, I don't have anything to wear, what am I saying? I don't have anything clean. <laughs> Good. So we, we just have these, these differences. Sue, Sue and I are different as night and day. We believe that Jesus is Lord, and then we disagree on everything else. If I say it's up, she says it's down. If I th- say it's left, she says it's right. Um, just completely different. This all started when God made man and woman. Now, the Hebrew word for, for man is ish. Say that with me, will you? Ish. Guess what the Hebrew word for woman is? Isha. Ish, say it. Ish. Woman, isha. And so the ah on the end of it means from or out of. And so in the creative account, you see that man, ish, Adam was created first, and then woman, isha, was created out of man. What this means fundamentally is, is that there's a complementary relationship between men and women, between man and woman, between husband and wife. You know what a complementary angle is, right? If you're trying to get to a 90 degree and you've got 45, you need another 45. Trying to get to 180 and you've got 60, you need 120, right? So complementary, it completes all of this. And, and God said in Genesis 2.18, Then the Lord, God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper, a helper, a helper, who is just right for him. I confess to you that I am an infinitely better man because God put Jesus, uh, put uh, Sue, yeah, Jesus, yes, but put Sue in my life. And just even a little bit, I know that Sue is better because God put me in her life. But to make each other better, that means that we have to be different. We have to appreciate the differences. Not just One of the things that's happened in my marriage the last 20 years is not just to tolerate the differences. Used to, the differences always frustrated me. Then I got to the point that I tolerated the differences. And finally, I got to the point where I celebrated the differences. I love the fact that she is so different. Occasionally it is frustrating, but fundamentally down deep in my heart and soul, I'm so grateful that, that she is so different. It makes life so interesting. If we had the same perspectives, the same ideas, the, the same style of conversation and speech, the, the same opinions, all of that, life would be very dull and boring. There wouldn't be any sharpening. And so uh, being different actually is a great thing. D is the crazy cycle. (laughs) Uh, Just imagine getting on the crazy cycle. You keep doing the same things over and over again, expecting different results. It's also the definition of what? Insanity. The crazy cycle. You keep pushing the same hot buttons. You refuse to get consensus on critical decisions. You don't fight fairly. We could, do, we could do a whole seminar just on how to learn to fight fairly. We use words like you always, you never, which is like out of bounds. It's like against the rules, like out of the game. You can't do that, and yet we do it. So we, we, we get on this crazy cycle, and we can't get off. Then... We struggle with a critical spirit. Crazy about human beings is 
we always want somebody else to respond to our brokenness with what? Love, mercy, grace, understanding. And particularly our spouse. We want them to respond to our brokenness with love, grace, mercy, and understanding. But when they want it back, what do we give them? You always fall short in this. We don't give them the understanding. We don't give them the grace. We don't give them the, the uh, understanding that they, that they want. And then foolishness. You've heard this win-win thing, win-lose thing. In marriage, there is no win-lose. It's either win-win or lose-lose. If both of you don't win, you both lose. I read Genesis 2.18 a while ago where it says that two shall become one flesh. The oneness, we, we can't grasp that completely. We underestimate the power of that and the truth of that. And because we do that we're one flesh, we do stuff to our spouse thinking it's just to them. But it's to us as well. If I stood up here and hit myself in the face, you'd think I was nuts, right? And yet we take these, mental, these, these verbal jabs at our spouse thinking that's only hurting them, but it really hurts us. The two shall become one. Early on in our marriage, we went to a marriage seminar, and the guy said, marriage is like a pair of scissors. Though many times they're going opposite directions, they destroy everything that comes between them. That's a great, that's a great image about a good marriage. Um, so those are the challenges, some of the challenges that we've had in our marriage. But we also have help in our marriage. Seminars, marriage seminars. Sue and I went to marriage seminars till about 15 years ago till we started doing marriage seminars. Uh, Friday evening, we were on our way to our oldest son's house to spend the night and watch the kids while they went to a marriage seminar. So we always encourage our kids to go to seminars. Let me encourage you to find great seminars and go to marriage seminars. Podcasts, Right Now Media. Are you familiar with Right Now Media? Right Now Media has so many helps. Oh my gosh. Books. I brought... In my, in my understanding, the two best books on marriage right here is The Meaning of Marriage by Tim Keller and this book called Love and Respect. I'm telling you, it is deep. It's wonderful. Every, every one of you ought to have these two books and read through them for a great and godly marriage. I promise you, it's going to be awesome if you do. So seminars, podcasts, right now media, books. But, but most important is the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says that the, the, it was the power that raised Jesus from the dead was the power of the Holy Spirit, right? So the power of the Holy Spirit raises Jesus from the dead. If you're a Christ follower, you surrendered your life to Christ and taken his shed blood on the cross to cover your sin and make you right, righteous with God, then at that moment you made that decision, the Spirit of God came into you. He came in, he's not leaving, he sealed you, he identified you. And he's working in you to transform you to be more like Jesus. And the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is in you. And the Bible says greater is in you than he that is in the world. You have all of this power. If you have the spirit of God in you, all of this help to not let your anger or your frustration or your fear or your lust or whatever get in the way of your marriage. Finally... We gain blessings in our marriage. This is the fifth truth. Marriage is a great source of blessing. The more you give, 
the more it gives back. Like everything else worthwhile in life, the pain and the struggle and the endurance of it all actually makes for a great experience on the other side. So two years ago, October, I was supposed to transition out of being the lead pastor after 25 years. There was a young man who'd come and was going to be, had been the uh, campus pastor at that first, that, that campus that we started in 2004. And um, so he was going to be the pastor. We'd been in a five-year kind of baton handoff thing. Two weeks before Celebration Sunday, which was October 13th of 2019, my wife was diagnosed with triple negative breast cancer, which is a very, very aggressive cancer. And so we... Uh, Suddenly, our world was changed. My wife's constitution is just kind of fragile. And so we'll be watching television, and she'll just go, oh, I think I'm going to throw up for no reason, right? And uh, so I've been, we've been living this for 30 years, 40 years. And so when we heard that she's going to have to go through six months of the worst kind of chemotherapy there is and radiation on top of that, we were devastated. And so we went through six months of all that. And another, she didn't have hair. I shaved, I shaved her head bald like Pastor Matt's. And that's an experience. And then for six months, we just laid in our bed. That's pretty much all she could do most of the time. And I watched Hallmark movies with her. I watched more Hallmark movies than any man should. But it was an honor. And a privilege. Honey, can I get you something to drink? Can I help you in any way? Can I fix something to eat? All of that. And the best years of our marriage have been the last two years in the middle of all that. I'm just here to say that marriage is one of these things. I know it's difficult. I know it's a struggle. But at the end of the day, if you respond in the power of the Holy Spirit and you live by these foundational truths, you're going to have a great marriage. And it's going to pay back so many ways and so many times. Marriage can actually change the world. Two guys, Gary Ezzo and, and Robert Buckham, in the uh, authors of the book Baby Wise, say it this way. A healthy marriage creates an infused stability within the family and a haven of security for a child and the developmental process. In the end, great marriages produce great parents. The point is, is that, that marriage doesn't have the goal of, of two people being happy or even whole. It's an investment that makes a difference in the world. They say that it, it has significant implications, a great marriage for families, for community, even the culture. So men, women, next time you're thinking, you know, I, I, I want to make a great, um, I want to be successful or make a great stamp in the world by being this or being that or doing this or doing that. Let me just tell you, the best thing you can do for your world is to go home and love your wife or go home and love your husband. That's what makes a big difference. In our world. And then finally, marriage helps us understand the gospel. 
Ephesians 5, 31 and 32 say, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife. The two will become one flesh. Paul is quoting that Genesis passage. Then he adds this in verse 32. The mystery is profound, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. So marriage has a definition of meaning and a purpose that far surpasses contemporary understandings. Let me tell you this. Marriage is the central human relationship that helps us understand the gospel. Marriage actually helps us understand the gospel, and the gospel actually helps us understand marriage. When I say the gospel, you know what I'm talking about, the euangelion, the, 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 the truth of the fact that God, in his infinite love and wisdom, condescended, he left his place in heaven, became a human being, he lived a perfect life so that he could die a perfect death for you and for me. He could have left us and abandoned us in our brokenness, but he didn't. His love compelled him, and his love transforms us. Just think about what happens in a healthy marriage. Sue's love for me has transformed me. Hopefully, my love for her has transformed her. Just as Jesus rescued me, we rescue each other. We don't abandon each other in our brokenness. Jesus hasn't abandoned us in our brokenness. We don't abandon each other in our brokenness. He says this mystery is profound, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. Here's the thing that I've learned. Marriage is so painful and so wonderful. Just like the gospel, so painful, right? It cost Christ his life. And we surrender and die to ourselves. So it is painful, but it's also wonderful. Keller puts it this way. The gospel is this, that we are more sinful and flawed than we ever dared believe, yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than ever dare hoped. You want to know the key to a successful marriage? Is do for your spouse what God did for you in Jesus. And if that's the truth and the reality in your marriage, I pray you have. I've never, I never knew I could love anybody so much. And that'll be the same case for you. Join me as I pray. God, thank you so much for your great love for us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And the best marriages are those where we know that we can't abandon or turn our back or even criticize the brokenness, but give love to our spouse that transforms by the power of your spirit. It may be true, God. I know there'll be marriages here that are struggling. God, I pray they get help. There's so much help. Your desire for them is to have a great and godly marriage filled with the very best that life has to offer this side of heaven. May it be so, I pray in your name. Amen.